are lots of pictures of Jesus in the Gospels. He's the good shepherd who sees to it that his sheep have food and water and a quiet place to lie down. He's the light of the world. When everything is dark and scary, he's there. He's the bread of life when our souls hunger with a hunger that nothing else can fill. He's the true vine when we feel disconnected from the Father. But I think my favorite is the great physician. We've prayed for friends and loved ones, praying that the great physician would do what only he can do. And Jesus showed people in physical terms what he came to do. He made blind eyes to see, the lame walked at his word and touch. He made leprosy clean. He straightened palsied hands. He even raised the dead. What's even more amazing is that while Jesus showed people that he could heal physical hurts and infirmities, he really came to heal the parts of us that nobody else sees. You know, the inside of us, the, the things that give us pain, and no one else even knows they're there. Wounds that come from words. Hurts, heartaches, guilt, shame, loneliness, fear, and condemnation just to name a few. But what if I said there was one pill that was the cure for all of it? One thing from God that would make a difference to all those things I mentioned. What if Christians, even a church, committed to being among those who extended that one thing to whoever needed it? You know, like a hospital for people broken and hurting on the inside. What's that pill you ask and where can I get some? What is that thing that we get from God and then give it out freely and it helps people? Would you want to receive it? And if you did, would you be then willing to give it out to others? So what is this spiritual wonder drug? Here it is. It's called grace. You know, amazing grace. Wonderful, infinite, matchless grace, many-colored grace, grace greater than our sin. Grace. Period. Grace must win. The first time I spoke those words was early on in our ministry. A man who was attending at the time took issue with something one of our key volunteers did. I almost immediately brought the, the volunteer and the man together. The volunteer apologized, asked forgiveness. The man asked me if that was it. I asked what more he wanted. He should be removed. And suddenly, it even startled me when I said it, because I had never thought of it that way, nor had ever said it before. Listen, grace must win. If grace doesn't work for all of us, then it doesn't work for any of us. I really believe that to be a Holy Spirit moment for us, and it would profoundly shape our ministry. 
Well, he stormed off mad, convinced that I wasn't a very good leader. But we had a quiet, profound sense of God in the room. Grace must win. It started us on a long journey of learning about grace. In John chapter 8, starting verse 2. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. This is Jesus we're talking about. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I chose this passage because it's, it's a really clear picture, not only of an example of grace, but the grace principle built in. People sometimes think that grace is a New Testament reality only, but it's not true. The scripture says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God came to Abram by grace. David in Psalms talks about God's grace, mercy, and favor operating in his life. Now, grace is more fully spelled out in the New Testament. And it has a lot to it. Ephesians 2 tells us that salvation is by grace through faith. 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us that the gifts for ministry come from the manifold grace of God. Romans 5 verse 2 talks about it as the grace in which we stand. But back to the text in John 8. A first observation. Only the sinless get to condemn. The teaching of the Old Testament was not only that women like her should be stoned, but that those who were making the accusation should be the ones to throw the first stone. Jesus says, okay, so whoever's sinless among you, throw that first stone. But in this story, 
There's no sinless ones except Jesus. All of the others who were so clear on the price this woman should pay were taken totally off guard when Jesus invited the sinless among them to cast the first stone. Don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt, and there's been lots of opinion about that. I only know this. I only know why they left. One by one, beginning with the older ones. At Louisville, we were learning to respond in grace, not condemnation. Too many people were hurt by churches with their condemning and judging approaches to people. Louisville had something of a history of having hurt some people by judging and condemning. And so early on, we did a series called Glimpses of Grace. This series talked about how many places and situations we catch a glimpse of God's grace. We did a Sunday called The Grace Stream. Lloyd Taylor, one of our men, constructed a, a curved stream out of sheet metal. He installed it in our baptistry where people could see it. We attached a hose to it. We put some rocks and some fake greenery around so that it looked like a stream, give or take. He created a stream for us. And when we came to the end of the service that day, we invited people to come to the front. And at the front, we had a big bowl of salt. Salt was representing our sin. And we invited people to take some of the salt, their sin, and put it in the grace stream and let the grace stream carry it away. We were overwhelmed. People lined up right down the center aisle to come to pray silently, to pray a prayer of confession and let the grace stream carry it all away. We also learn here that guilt and condemnation are not the same thing. The woman, they say, was caught in the act, slam dunk on the guilt. It's clear what should happen. But Jesus asks the key question, who condemned you? No one, she said. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I have a tattoo. Many of you have seen the tattoo. It is an open manacle, meaning the prisoner is set free. This is the text for my funeral, by the way. Our 
8.1, Romans 8.1, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And above it, two Greek words lifted right out of the text. This one, katakrima, krima, K-R-I-M-A, is a courtroom finding, guilt, innocent. Kata means against, so a verdict against or condemnation. But it's this word you got to watch. Uden. The Greeks have a number of words for no. This is what's called an emphatic negation. If we were to translate it correctly, we would have to try to capture it this way. There is never, ever, ever condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think one reason grace is so important to me and I would want it in any ministry I was involved with is that grace is at the heart of me even being in the ministry. I've had so many opportunities to give my testimony based on this tattoo. Uh, the Greek letters people ask, what does it mean? And I explain it to them just as I did to you, except I usually attach on the end, if there's one thing clear about me and my life, it's that there's plenty to condemn. But the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am so in need of grace that it's made it in some ways easier for me to offer grace. And as we moved along in ministry here at Louisville, we found God bringing people to us, people who needed grace. And here's the thing about that. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, Jesus is sending the 12 disciples out. And he told them, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. Freely you have received, freely give. I love that. Freely you have received, freely give. In there is a ministry principle that is so important to the grace must win aspect of ministry. To anyone who would condemn, not only that man on that first morning, but anyone who would look down their nose at someone who comes in and their lives are, are obviously in a bad place because maybe their own bad decisions, maybe they've created, you know, their, the bad place their life is in, but it doesn't matter. That's the thing. It doesn't matter. I have done enough in my life to ruin my life. Thousands of times. And yet by God's grace, here I am. 
And so I see it in the scriptures and I'm thoroughly convinced in my heart that grace must win. And the further principle is grace in, grace out. Grace received demands grace to be extended. We're not meant to be reservoirs of grace. We're meant to be conduits of grace. Because every time grace is bottled up and reservoired, it becomes stagnant and it smells. It has to be like a stream, a fresh stream that keeps on flowing. And along this journey, me and my family were the recipients of grace here. In April 2005, my mother died of breast cancer and complications from metastasized breast cancer. The day of the funeral, I expected that a you know, a nice gesture would be for the church to um, send some flowers, maybe some notes. What I didn't expect was a group from this church rented a bus and traveled to my mother's funeral to be a support to me. See, grace takes lots of forms. There was a Sunday where Heather was ill. We didn't know with what, but she was using a walker. And we were about to take her in the next day or two to Toronto to Sunnybrook Hospital to see a specialist. Meanwhile, our second daughter, Sarah, was in Foothills Hospital incapacitated and they didn't know what was wrong with her. Rosalie had already flown out to Calgary and she was there. I was here with Heather and going to leave within a day or so to go to Toronto and we were a family in need. And that day the invitation was given. I think Sonny was the one who actually offered it. We were at the front, Heather and I, and our people flocked to the front to lay hands on us and to pray. Grace in, grace out. And so over time, people were showing up, people who were broken and hurting, and we had lots of opportunities to be the conduits of grace. They came in ones and twos at first, but then we started to see an influx in greater numbers. As we received and tried to help people who were in need of grace, God sent us more people in need of grace. People who were broken and hurting because of the events of life, because of relationship, because of the church they'd come from. Finally, it seemed like there were dozens of people here. 
They were new to us, but all of them were hurting in some way. And so God led us to do a series. And that series was called Walking Wounded. Not the walking wounded, but walking wounded, as in so many of us walk wounded. We cleared a space up front, put some rugs down, a few chairs, some Kleenex boxes scattered around. And we had some of our folks who came prepared to pray with other people. Well, we worshiped, we preached, and we invited people to come pray. And many people came and prayed. There were lots of tears. And we were finally realizing the power of offering grace instead of judgment. Felt like we were on the right track. We saw people over the years, like the words of the old hymn, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Here's the thing. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament where God said to Solomon, I'll give you anything, whatever you want. And it's an amazing story that Solomon chose wisdom, a really good choice. And people came from far and wide to hear the wisdom of Solomon. In this day, of all the gifts we receive from God, and some might say, well, if I could receive anything from God, maybe it'd be a new house or a new car or maybe some money or a new job or there would be something that we might say, well, if I could get anything from God, that's what I'd get. But of all the gifts we receive from God, the one that brings wholeness and peace and contentment and joy is grace. Grace is the greatest gift we receive from God. And grace is the greatest gift we can offer to others. Grace must win.